Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the word. So let, let me say this before we, before we jump in. And, and I'm, I don't think I'm overstating this, so I want everybody to please lean in and hear what I'm about to say. Um, as a pastor, you know, we, there's times I know, look, God gives me a burden and I preach what he's telling me. And, uh, you know, we kind of inch forward, we kind of move forward as a church. Uh, but there's, uh, you know, from time to time that I would say that he kind of puts a, uh, a catalytic message uh, in my heart to deliver to the body. And what I mean by that is, is our ability to grab a hold of what he is saying by faith ultimately will determine how far we move forward as a church. And so today what I want to share with you uh, is, is incredibly simple, but it can be, uh, how can I say this? It can be very, it can, ju- it can just change us. In fact, I'll, I'll go so far to say this, that potentially the history of our church, in other words, how we'll go down in the halls of faith of what this church becomes, will, I believe, in many ways, hinge upon our ability to grab a hold of this or not. Okay? So, so if you can, lean in, get hungry, and, uh, and understand that today, that from God's perspective, we are all divinely connected. We are one family. Okay? And so, and so we are not uh, just a bunch of individuals in the room that kind of go and do our own thing. No, God sees us as one. He sees us together. Okay. In fact, let me just say this is, you know, if you, if you don't really believe that God views uh, his people like that, all you have to do is go read in the old Testament, read about when Achan, uh, after they, you know, conquered Jericho, just, you know, just go back and just look and see, uh, you know, how he took some stuff of, of his own, right. And he shoved it under a tent, right. Like he took some gold, took some stuff. And it literally says that it didn't say, God didn't say Achan sinned against me. He said, Israel sinned against me. So God looks at us as one. Amen? All right. So um, this morning, what I want to do is I want to uh, jump right back into our Pray First series. For you guys that have been here, you know, over the past few weeks, we have talked about uh, the priority of prayer. We have talked about the place of prayer. We've talked about the plan of prayer. And this morning, I want to talk to all of you about the power of prayer. Can somebody say power? The power of prayer. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind uh, when you hear those words, but I immediately think about how most of us know that prayer should be an important part of our lives. Like We all know that, right? Like We all understand uh, that our relationship with God, the development of our faith, right, and our character, uh, our ability to be led by His voice, and even our ability to be effective witnesses for the gospel, man, all of that hinges on the depths of our prayer lives. Yet, statistics show that most of us don't pray like we should, right? So, so in question why, most of us automatically point out our uh, lack of desire for prayer. We talk about our priorities being out of order. In other words, we say uh, we don't have enough time, right? We talk about our lack of confidence when we pray. Uh, we even, uh, you know, some of us even admit that we're too independent to pray, meaning that we trust ourselves more than we trust God, right? And so while I, I certainly believe all of those reasons have a negative impact on people's prayer lives, I want to suggest to you another reason real quick, and that is simply this. It's called opposition. It's called opposition. And, and that simply means this, is that the devil reads the Bible too. 
Right? In other words, he knows that when you and I open our mouths and, and pray, right? And I mean really pray, not passive weak prayers. Talking, when we really pray the word of God, that we're a powerful force to be reckoned with. Right? Like he knows that if we would begin to really, really pray, he would be in trouble. Because like what we were singing a while ago, when we really do that, guess what? God's power is released and he begins to lose ground. And so he does everything he can to dissuade, deter, and to detract us from actually praying. And so for that reason, I want to throw one verse at you that probably everybody in this room knows. But I'm going to challenge you not just to know it, but I'm going to challenge you to believe it. And that is this. It's James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. It says this. It says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Most of us know that, says the fervent prayers of a righteous man is powerful and what? Effective, right? And then, and then James gives us an example of what it's like when a righteous person prays. He says in verse 17, says, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Isn't that incredible? So we not only have Elijah as an example of this, but all throughout the Bible, we see wonderful results of what happens when righteous people pray. You know, to give you just a few examples, my mind goes immediately to when Elisha prayed and, uh, and God miraculously filled vessel of, after vessel after vessel after vessel uh, full of oil for a widow. Like I think about when Daniel asked God to shut the mouth of the lions, he did it. I think about when, uh, you know, Peter was standing by the gate of beautiful and he prayed for the crippled man and he got healed. I think about when Paul prayed... Uh, uh, you know, after that young teenage boy named Eutychus fell out of the window, he went down and, and he laid hands on him and the boy came back to life. Like, those are the things that I think about. But, you know, obviously, if you read the Bible, in addition to all those things, we also see many other examples of people praying for salvations, praying for deliverance, praying for divine protection, divine guidance, and so on. And what my point is, is again and again and again, as uh, basically we see God moving powerfully through the prayers of his righteous people. Can I get a good amen on that? So now these types of miracles just didn't happen in the Bible, right? The reason I say that is because there's actually many, many stories throughout, uh, you know, the history of God's people or the church, right, where, where righteous people have earnestly prayed and God has done uh, the unexplainable, right? Like I told you a few weeks ago about George Mueller, what I want to do uh, quickly is I want to tell you about two other people that I just hope that, uh, you know, kind of a piece of their story will inspire you and encourage you to believe what we're talking about today. So two people. The first one is this. Maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't, but it's a guy named John Hyde. Uh, John Hyde is more commonly known as Praying Hyde. Okay, basically, this guy was a missionary to India, and uh, if you read his story, you find that he wasn't having a whole lot of success, and the natural, he was struggling to learn the language due to his partial deafness, and because he was struggling to learn the language, all the other missionaries that he worked with uh, considered him disinterested and unsuccessful. And so rather than focusing on his struggles and all the opinions of others, he decided to do what he knew how to do, and that was pray. And so he began by, by doing this, and, and I'm going to use a strong word here, but he began by having the audacity to ask God to save one soul every single day. Right, so he actually believed for 365 converts over the next year, like that was his goal in prayer. 
And, uh, you know, everybody around him thought that was impossible, yet God did it, right? And when he got to the end of the year, he actually calculated all the people that not only confessed but were baptized, were actively walking in the faith, and and he counted uh, that 400 people came into the kingdom. And he decided that that worked so well, maybe he should double it. Fast forward the next year, 800 people came into the kingdom. Then he started praying for three souls a day. Then he started praying for four souls a day. And literally what would happen is this man prayed for hours and hours and hours for God just to save people, he would literally be walking down the street and people would walk up to him and say, sir, can you tell me how to get right with God? Right? Literally, he'd be sleeping in the middle of the night or praying in the middle of the night because he spent most nights praying and people would knock on his door because they were under the conviction and they would say, tell me how to get saved. Right? And so basically, the more this guy prayed, the more God moved. And, and you know, if you read the story before he died, uh, revival swept through that region. And my question is, is why? And I believe the answer is simply this it's because a righteous man decided to pray. So the second person I want to talk to you about, and it's going to be a little bit longer than that one, but it's a lady named Corey Tim Bohm. Some people refer to her as Corey Tim Boom, but it's Corey Tim Bohm. Um, you know, Corey. If you don't know who she is, basically along with her sister, Betsy, they were arrested by the Gestapo in 1944 uh, for concealing Jews in their homes during the German occupation of Holland in World War II. And so maybe you've heard of her. But uh, after their arrest, they were, they were forced to spend uh, the following months in a concentration camp uh, before they were ultimately moved to a death camp known as Ravensbrück. And uh, it was there before Corey's basically supernatural release. They made an administrative error. She was released, and everybody her age group the next day was killed. So God miraculously delivered her, right? But anyways, before her release, her sister Betsy, along with 94,000 other women, were killed by the Nazis. So, so I want to give you a very abbreviated story that's from her own personal account. I'm going to read it to you about the day that they arrived in Ravensbrook. And so the reason I'm going to read is because I want to show you just the simple miracles of how God moves when righteous people pray. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. All right, so here's what she said. She said, rank upon rank, we stood that hot September morning in 1944, more than 1,000 women lining the railroad siding, one unspoken thought among us, not Germany. She says, behind us, guards were shouting, prodding us with their guns, and distinctively, my hand went to the string around my neck. From it, having down my back, between my shoulder blades, was the small cloth bag that held our Bible, the forbidden book which had not only sustained Betsy and me throughout these months, but given us strength to share with our fellow prisoners. So far, we had kept it hidden, but if we should go to Germany, we had heard tales of the prison inspections there. And so basically, to, to abbreviate it, this part of the story, she begins to describe how, how these soldiers forcefully shoved, uh, you know, these thousand women onto a train. And she, uh, you know, was shoved into, her and Betsy were shoved into this train cart uh, with so many women that it was so hot in there, there was ladies that would pass out. But they wouldn't even hit the ground because there were so many people stepped in there. They would just kind of hang there in the air, right? So that's how crammed they were. And so they weren't in there for like an hour, but they actually spent days in that train cart uh, with no food, scarcely any water, so you just kind of get the picture. And uh, she continued to say this. She said, at last, on the morning of the third day, the, the door was hauled open. Only a handful of very young soldiers were there to order us out and march us off. No more were needed. We could scarcely walk, lest alone resist. Says, from the crest of the small hill, we saw it, the end of our journey, a vast gray barrack city surrounded by double concrete walls, Ravensbrook. 
says this was the notorious women's death camp itself, the very symbol to Dutch hearts of all that was evil. As we stumbled down the hill, I felt the little Bible bumping on my back. As long as we had it, I thought we could face even hell itself. But how could we conceal it through the inspection I knew lay ahead? And then she says, when each woman reached the head of the line, she had to strip off every scrape of clothes. This says, throw them all onto a pile guarded by soldiers and walk naked past the scrutiny of a dozen guards into the shower room. Coming out of the shower room, she wore only a thin regulation prison dress and a pair of shoes. Our Bible, how could we take it past so many watchful eyes? And so at that point, she begins to say that she was uh, standing in line, obviously watching this happen with women in front of her. And she's like, Lord, what do I do? And finally, the, the thought came to her. She asked uh, one of the guards if, if they could go to the bathroom. And the guard said, basically, uh, you know, go into the shower and use the drain hole. That's what he said. And so she went into the empty shower going, God, what do I do? God, what do I do? And she saw uh, some benches off to the side that were molded, cockroaches crawling all over them. And she said that they, they looked like they were from heaven. And so what she did was is she took the Bible uh, off from around her neck, little bag that had it, and she uh, basically hid it in their, in their wool underwear, and she tucked it behind uh, the bench. And so then she went back to the line, right, got in line, and just like all the other women, she stripped down, and she went through the line, okay? Now, here's the amazing part of the story. And here's why I'm telling you this. She said, and so it was after they stripped down when we were heard in that room 10 minutes later, we were not poor, but rich, rich in the care of him who was God of even Ravensbrook. So she showered, she put on that little prison dress, threw the Bible right head in the bench, put it back around her neck. She said this, of course, when I put on the flimsy prison dress, the Bible bulged beneath it, but that was his business, not mine. At the exit, guards were filling every prisoner, front, back, and sides. And I prayed, oh, Lord, send your angels to surround us. But then I remembered that angels are spirits, and you can see through them. <laughs> what I needed was an angel to shield me so the guards cannot see me. Lord, I pray, make your angels untransparent. That's not even a word. Anyways, <laughs> how unorthodox you can pray when you are in great need. Let me say it again. How unorthodox you can pray when you are in great need. But God did not mind. He did it. The woman ahead of me was searched. Behind me, Betsy was searched. They did not touch or even look at me. It was as though I was blocked out of their sight. Outside the building was a second ordeal. Another line of guards examining each prisoner again. He said, I slowed down as I stretched him. But instead of searching me like they did all the others, the captain just roughly pushed me by the shoulder and said, move along. You're holding up the line. So we arrived in our barracks. Before long, we were holding Bible studies for an ever-growing group of believers. The barracks 28 became known throughout the camp as the crazy place where they had hope. It says, yes, hoped in spite of all the human madness can do. It says, we had learned that a stronger power had the final word, even here in Ravensbrook. So if you actually read, I just, anyways, I would highly advise everybody to read The Hiding Place, credible book. But, but over the next couple of months, you find out that, that God miraculously used Corey and Betsy uh, to not only bring hope, but to bring salvation to really only God knows how many people. And uh, basically all along the way, you just see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle uh, as God moved on their behalf. And I want to pose the question once again, why? I think the answer is simply because a righteous woman decided to pray. In fact, here's a little side note, just, just to show you how cool this is. Um, 
as I was preparing today's message, I, don't know, I, just, I just wanted to look and see how long they were there. And, and I landed on the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum website. And, uh, and it said on that website in 1967, it's about 13 years uh, before Corey died, she received recognition from basically the world government uh, as one of the, listen to this, one of the righteous among the nations. She was given an award, and I just thought, man, how ironic is that? That only does God view her as righteous, but even the world viewed her as righteous. Like, that's pretty cool, right? So here's the question I have for you. Um, As amazing as all that is, it's like at the end of the day, why am I telling you about Elijah? Why am I telling you about this guy named Praying Hyde? Why am I telling you about Corey Tim Boehm? Is it to make you feel bad about your prayer life? (laughs) No. See, see that, that's how a lot of people hear it, but no, that, that's, that's not why I'm telling you that. On the contrary, I'm trying to encourage all of us to remember uh, that if God can do these things through and for ordinary people, then maybe we should never doubt what he can do and will do for us if we would simply pray and believe. See, I think so often we make a mistake here, and, it, and it's this way. We, we tend to question if those people are really ordinary common folk. Right, it's true that we usually hear stories like that and, and we divide uh, those sorts of people into like this super saints category and then we, we have this n- another category for the rest of us spiritual scrubs, <laughs> right? And, and that's where we put ourselves. And so we go, so that's why God answers their prayers are not ours. They're special and well, we're, we're just not. You've never done that, have you? So listen, if that thought crossed your mind, this crossed mine a time or two, uh, then I want to I suggest to you to maybe that you look back at what James said. I want to read it again, and this time let it stick to you, okay? James 5.17, it says Elijah, or we can say praying hide, we can say Corey Tim Boehm. You can throw in whoever's name there you put in the super saint category. It says Elijah was as human as we are. Come on, let that sink in. As human as as we are and it says and yet when he prayed earnestly here's what happened see according to God these people aren't any more special than you and me but there is one prerequisite that we got to grab a hold of it is this are we righteous right See, if we are living righteous lives and if we truly trust and depend on him and if we actually believe that when we pray that he'll come through for us, guess what? I believe that our personal prayers at that moment carry such power and such authority that just as it says there in James, that wonderful results, powerful and effective, man, that that God will do that. Amen? Amen? So if we can, like, let's break down the dividing wall. Like what I loved again and again and again about Corey Tim Bohm is she just stressed. She literally was like, why do you want to write my story? I'm just an ordinary person. God loves ordinary people, amen? So listen, on that note, there's an old quote that has encouraged me, but it's also punched me in the face about a thousand times over the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, basically, anytime I think about those two categories, this quote typically comes in my heart. It's an old quote by Leonard Ravenhill. I want you to listen to what he said. He said this. He said, to the question, where's the Lord God of Elijah? We answer, where he has always been, on the throne. I love that. He says, but where are the Elijahs of God? We know Elijah was a man of light passions as we are, but alas, we are not men of light prayer as he was. 
One praying man stands as a majority with God. Today, God is bypassing men, not because they're too ignorant, but because they are too self-sufficient. Brethren, our abilities are our handicaps, and our talents are our stumbling blocks. That's a good dose of reality right there. Amen? All right, so it's amazing all that is. Here's the cool part. That's not really what I'm going to talk to you about today. All right, here we go. Here's what I feel super compelled from the Lord to share with you, okay? And, and I'm going to slow down quite a bit. We're going to try to do this together, amen? So, so I don't really want to talk about our personal private prayers being powerful and effective, even though they are. So there's, I'm trying to encourage you in that. But what I want to talk about today is really the prayers, not that we pray in private, but that we pray in public, okay? The, in other words, in the corporate setting of the church, man, I want us to see that our prayers are powerful and effective, Amen? So what I want to do for the next couple minutes, once again, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to teach on this topic, okay? Stress the word teach. So I'm going to ask you to take notes, okay? And then what we're going to do, when we get to the end, we're going to put this into practice. Like so often, we just talk about praying, but we don't pray, okay? And so I'm going to go ahead and let you know, when when we shift gears at the end, uh, I am going to be counting on y'all to lead the way. It's not going to be Quentin leading the way. All you guys are in this room that are spiritually mature, I'm expecting you to step up big today and lead the way. Can I hear a good amen? amen. All right, so, so everybody listen, please. Here we go. Here's our foundational passage. We use this as our launching pad. It's Matthew 21, 12 through 13. Most of you all know it. It says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Why did he do that? He said to them, It is written, My house, somebody say, My house, house. shall be called a house of prayer. Somebody say, House of prayer. House House of prayer. Now, Listen, this might sound super silly, but when I hear those words, uh, a house of prayer, my mind immediately goes to a restaurant that I used to eat at all the time when I would go to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina to hang out with one of my friends, and it's called IHOP, (laughs) International House of Pancakes, right? Now, once again, this may sound silly, but, but when you go to IHOP, like, what do you expect to have access to? Like, what do you expect them to be proficient at making? Like, if you can cook anything, dog, you should be able to cook this, right? Like, what do you expect them to not only have a variety of, but plenty of? Like, like you wouldn't expect them to run out of what? Pancakes, right? Like, the other thing in my head, we, we went to Portland, Oregon not too long ago, and we showed up at McDonald's, and they let us know that, that they didn't have any hamburgers. They had chicken nuggets. And two fries and an apple pie. I was like, that was it. And I was, anyways. So I just think it's like when Jesus said that my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. Like, what do you think he expects us to be proficient at? Prayer. Okay? Listen, and not, and not, I want to stress this really hard. And not that we would just know how to pray as a bunch of individuals. But that we would know how to pray together as one big church family. So listen to me, no one in this room, especially not me, I don't question the importance of an individual's prayer life, but I want you to know today, okay, from heaven's perspective, it is not good enough. I'll say it is not good enough for us just to be a congregation full of people who have wonderful prayer lives and that we're growing personally in that, okay? I believe, man, it is time. In fact, I'll say it how I keep hearing it, it is past time, Right? If I can say, it's past time I hear him say, right? That for us to begin to, uh, I guess, hold an, an equal importance 
uh, for us to learn how to seek God together as a church family. Okay? So, so if I can say it another way, what I'm trying to get is it's time for us to mature. It's time for us to mature and start becoming the house of prayer that Jesus has called and expects us to be. In other words, those things, well, I'm, I'm nervous about praying with people. That doesn't fit the word. Doesn't fit the word. Well, well I've been saved one week. Doesn't fit the word. Right? God expects this from us, and either we can step up in obedience to what he's called us to, or we continue to shrink back. I say let's step up. Let's show up. Amen? Amen. All right, so listen, just, just as we have been given biblical examples of what it's like when righteous uh, people pray, you know, that God shows up powerfully and effective, right? God's also given us uh, many examples through his word of what happens when his church begins to pray. In other words, their prayers are even more powerful and more effective. Let me give you a few examples. Acts chapter 1, you can go read these in context later, but Acts 1, 13 through 14, it says this. It says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. This is after Jesus died. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. In other words, 11 disciples. In other words, Judas obviously was dead at this point. And then watch this, verse 14, it says, they all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What happened? If you fast forward, you actually find out that 500 people went in the upper room. After 50 days, only 120 remained. Okay, and then it says this in Acts 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they, the 120, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Watch this next example I want to give you is a prayer meeting that basically find fast forward in Acts. Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel and then it says this after they were released, Acts 4. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all of the chief priests and all of what the chief priests and the elders had said. So when they heard this, they threw together a prayer meeting and they raised their voice together in prayer to God. Now fast forward, what happened from there? It says in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Then my mind goes to Acts chapter 12. Watch this. It says, after arresting Peter, Herod put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded. Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. It says, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. It says, he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. And his chains fell off. What was the catalyst of that? It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. They had a prayer meeting. Right? So here's a simple point I'm trying to get at here. Is when the church began to take responsibility. Y'all hear this. When the church began to take responsibility, not just for their own personal prayer lives, but when they began to take responsibility for the corporate prayer life, God began to move. Right, so, so listen, not just a little bit, but with unmistakable power, God moved. So listen, in this room, I realize there's people who take your own personal walk serious. You take responsibility of that. And I'm trying to tell you in Jesus' name, it is time for us to take personal responsibility for the corporate prayer life too. 
It's time for us to take it serious. So listen, with that said, here, here's where my mind goes. Once again, I'm a, I'm a questions guy, okay? That's, that's how my brain functions naturally. But, but as I'm looking at those passages of Scripture, right, those, those in essence, three prayer meetings, uh, in my head I go, man, what would have happened if those churches, if, if everybody gathered and, you know, they, they just said, you know, man, it's been a really long day. And I'm kind of tired. So I think I'm just going to say a quick prayer for old Pete before I go to bed tonight. Yeah, I know it's a bummer, man. He's, he's, he's walking through something difficult. But, but listen, uh, God's not limited by time or space. We know that. So high five, I'll catch you later, brother. And then everybody disperses. Like in my head, I can't help but to wonder what would the outcome have been. Would it have been the same? I don't think so. <laughs> I honestly do not think we would have the stories that we have in the Bible if they would have taken the same approach that we take today. Right? And so, listen, I just think you can't argue with the fact that there was clearly something about the spiritual principle of agreement, right? Prayer and agreement that transcend any explanation in all three of those counts. Like it had to be God. Had to be God. Like God showed up. So clearly the early church understood the importance of coming together and crying out to God in prayer. And guess what God did? He honored them for it. Right, So for this reason, if I can just give you a little background here, uh, I believe prayer was, was never a side issue for them. Y'all hear that? It's basically a side issue. It wasn't a side issue. In other words, they didn't, they, you know, we tend to put uh, worship, uh, you know, a sermon, and, and all these other things that we do like in the place, and then no prayers over there. Right? So it wasn't a side issue for them. In fact, the Bible makes it clear in Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves and they continued steadfastly in prayer. And so listen, it didn't matter if they were in a church, if they were in someone's home, or if they were in the middle of a field somewhere. Like we see it continuously again and again. These guys took prayer seriously and they knew how to persevere in it. In other words, they didn't give up. Right? And so much so that when you, when you actually read the book of Acts, the words prayer and the word pray, they're mentioned uh, more than 30 times in the, in the book of Acts alone. And here's what's so neat is every one of those times it's mentioned, it precedes some significant event where God showed out. Like God's power and people's prayer were always divinely connected. Amen? So listen, we can't expect God to show up and show out if we're not praying. In fact, I'll be so bold to tell you this. Go study church history, and you'll find out as the people's prayers went, so the church went. Like, there's never a move of God in church history where people didn't pray first. It's not there. I've read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. It is not, it, it, it's not there, okay? And the truth is, is anytime there's apathy that was in the church, uh, it's because the people were apathetic, okay? Every time there was power, it's because the people had passion, Every single time, right? And so I just think this, that, that when we come to this, once again, it's like God's power and people's prayer always divinely connected. And so I can sit here and I can tell you story after story that I've read, story, story I've experienced personally when it comes to what happens when God's people pray together, when they really get on it. Um, but, but, but listen, I just want you to get that. They're connected, Right? So much so that a guy like John Wesley could say this. I love this quote. Simple. He said, God does everything by prayer and nothing without it. All right. If you haven't taken notes yet, take them now. Okay, here we go. I'm going to give you real quick. We're going to shift gears. Six different types of prayer. Six different types of prayer. These are all in the Bible uh, that we should be praying together as a church family. Now, 
Uh, to me, these are the kind of prayers that Paul was talking about when he said this in Ephesians 6.18. He simply said this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, watch this, with all kinds of prayers. Like, What's the all kinds of prayers and what's the all kinds of requests? So then he said, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So here we go. Here's the kind of prayers that we should be praying together. In fact, I'll go and let you know. My prayer this morning, as I simply went through all of these, and I said, Lord, would you let these begin to happen on a consistent, regular basis for us as a church? But everybody, look, for this to happen, we got to get out of spectator mode. For this to happen, we got to embrace feeling uncomfortable. Okay? It is this. I have never, listen, y'all, I've been serving God 26 years. I have never moved forward when I was comfortable. I've never grown a comfortability, right? So if we want to grow, man, we're going to have to be uncomfortable. Amen? So here's the first type of of prayer that we can pray. It's a general prayer. Take these down, please. A general prayer. This type of prayer is simply this. It focuses on our communion with God. Like that should be arising like incense in this place every time we come together. In other words, that we're seeking his face collectively, that we are openly expressing our desire to know him. Amen? The second one is this, it's supplication. I know that that's a straight-up Bible word, but, but it simply means this. It, it means that it's aimed, this prayer is aimed at a specific need. In other words, we ask for something, we believe in faith, and we continue to pray until the answer comes. That's a supplication. In other words, it could involve uh, God's guidance. It could be about a spiritual breakthrough in some area like we're hoping for today, right? It could be the salvation for loss. Keep on going. It could be whatever it is. But the key to remember here is this is a specific request that we pray together. Somebody say together. The third one is this. It's a a thanksgiving prayer. In other words, it's where we lift up our voice and we begin to saturate the atmosphere, not because there's a song playing, but because there's gratefulness, there's thankfulness in our hearts. So we give this heartfelt expression of gratitude towards God for who he is and all that he's done. Amen? Like as one voice. That's what we do. The fourth one is this, and this is huge. And we're going to do a little bit of this today. It's called intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer um, I, may, I may go into this next week and sit on this, but listen, this is the type of prayer where we stand in the gap and we fight on the behalf of others. That we stand in the gap and we fight on behalf of others. It, you know, that's where we use the authority that Jesus gave us. He said that in Matthew uh, 28, right? And, and we take that authority and we pray for a circumstance, we pray for events, pray for a person, a region, and we can even pray for a nation. In other words, in intercessory prayer, there's a strategic target. If you can imagine, we have military folks in the room like, that used to be in the military. Think about it along this way. It's like, uh, it's like how an army would attack a certain objective. That's intercessory prayer, right? So in similar fashion, there's also, number five, there's this thing called warfare prayer that scares the mess out of people who like a quiet church, right? And to put it plainly, this is where we stand against the attack of the enemy. It's where we get on the offensive and we begin to pray prayers to take territory. And so we have to remember what Jesus said here. Everybody listen to me, please. He said, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I don't know about you, but I've been in a few scraps in my life, and I was never quiet. Some of y'all need to get back to those old days and punch the devil in the face. So listen, this is where we bind and loose, and this is where we, through prayer, right, where we tear down the stronghold of the enemy. 
So listen, on that note, I read this quote a few days ago, and I'm trying to say something here, so grab a hold of this. Uh, There's the quote. It says, whoever's first in the field and awaits the coming of the enemy will be fresh for the fight. Whoever's second in the field and has to hasten the battle will arrive exhausted. Guys, unfortunately, I think that's how we attend. We, we, we tend to arrive to the battlefield second. The enemy attacks, and we run in there, and we're wore out, and we're trying our best to fight. We're snatching hair, pulling out earrings. We're doing whatever we can do, right? But, but listen, in that moment, it's like, man, we are, we're, we're dragging. And, and I think we need to remember, listen, God said that you and I, if we walk with him, that we would know the devil's schemes. Okay, he has given us this thing called discernment, and discernment allows us to do what? To be first on the battlefield. Like, wouldn't it be nice to be first for once? Yeah, I don't know about y'all, but I don't like getting my butt kicked. Amen? So here's the last one. The last prayer that we should be praying as a body is these things called declaration prayers. Faith declarations, right? I love these, right? This is where we declare and we pray out loud the word of God by faith. Somebody say by faith. Notice I didn't say by feeling. (laughs) Do feelings come? Sometimes, yes. I love when the Holy Spirit comes on you and and there's all those feelings. But but a lot of times, man, it ain't about feelings. It's about faith, right? And so, listen, we do this. We make these declarations. uh, How? Because we know the Word of God, which enables us to do what the psalmist said. We begin to decree what the Lord has declared. See, so often when the church doesn't know the word, they don't know what to declare. And so they declare what they want, not what God wants, and it doesn't work, right? So we need to declare what God has said, and we need to do it together. So that means we got to know the book. Somebody say, know the book. All right, listen, I personally believe, right? Take all those sits together. I personally believe um, that it is God's will for us to actively do those things together. Listen, if that be in a Sunday morning service, if that be... In Wednesday night corporate prayer, if that's in your cultivate group, if that's you, you know, when you're hanging out with your friends for prayer at somebody's house, or if that's with you as a family, like those things should be happening. Why? Because there are all ways that we interact with God through prayer, and we don't need to be lopsided in one area. We need to embrace all of them. Amen? All right, so before I land this, before we shift gears and do what we're going to do, um, I, I want to give you real quick four essential keys to corporate prayer. I am teaching you today. Four essential keys to corporate prayer. These are so simple, but often we don't do them, so that's why we're talking about them. Amen? The first one is this. The first one is when we pray, we've got to pray unified prayer. We've got to pray in unity. Somebody say Unity. Listen, the book of Acts repeatedly says this. We read it a while ago. It says they raised, y'all listen, they raised their voice together. Oh God, we just blew away half the churches. <laughs> they raised their voices together. Okay? This means that they didn't wait for somebody to be called upon. You, you know, we choose you today to pray. Come and pray, and you hold the mic, and you pray, and everybody else, we're going to bow our head in reverence, and we're going to murmur out the occasional, yes, Lord, amen, do it. Won't he do it? (laughs) Right? It says they raised their voice together. They were one. The spirit was there, and they just went. Everybody with me on that? In other words, there was none of this, uh, I'm going to sit here like I'm in a library, and I'm going to whisper quiet prayers to myself. Lord, thank you. And And it also doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that they got together, and everybody started praying about their own personal needs. Right? It, obviously, listen, these guys knew that 
they, that their prayers had the greatest impact when they prayed in unity. And, and so if I can say it to you this way, the focus was on the collective group speaking as one, not as individuals speaking as many. It was one voice, not many voices. Amen? All right, so with that in mind, let me give you two verses, okay? Two verses. First and Second Chronicles 7.14, just kind of prove this to you. Simply says this, says, if my people, no, it didn't say if a person. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Come on, let's take note of that. What happens when we humble ourselves and seek his face? What happens when we turn from our wicked ways? Once again, that's to righteousness, right? It says he forgives our sin and heals our land. I don't know about y'all, but our nation's a mess. We need some healing in our land. So instead of complaining, let's pray. Amen. All right, take notice of what Jesus said. He was actually talking about the church here, okay? So he's talking about the church, okay? He said this in Matthew 18, 18 through 20. He says, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid, that means whatever you bind, whatever you lock on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit, in other words, whatever you loose, whatever you open on earth will be permitted in heaven. That's some authority, right? He is literally saying, as you go in prayer, so goes your destiny. Okay? Watch this. Y'all hang this. We normally skip this next verse and just bump on down to verse 20. But y'all got to grab 19. He said, I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, the Amplify adds within the will of God. That's key. My Father in heaven will do it for you. I'm going to read it again. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. That's a pretty good promise. And then he says in verse 20, the one we like to quote, For where two or three are gathered together as my followers, or in my name, I am there among them. Y'all, what I'm trying to get us to understand that just as Jesus promised that where two or three are gathered in his name, that he's going to show up, that he also promised us that if we pray together in unity, he'll answer. Right? Like we need to grab a hold of that. Anything we touch and agree on, that there's power. Amen? So, so once again, I, I think this, if I can just throw this out at you, Mainers, y'all listen to me really well here, Okay? These verses actually prove, again, they support the reason again and again and again of why we desperately need one another, right? Without the body of Christ living and praying together, we will never reach our full potential in the kingdom. Well, they don't do it like I do it. It's not about you. I prefer another way. It's not about your preference, it's about unity in the spirit. So whatever needs to change in me to get a hold of that, then Lord, change me. Talk to myself too. Amen? Here's the second essential key to corporate prayer. Is we have to pray scriptural prayer. We've got to pray from the word, right? So listen, it's important that when we pray that we're not in agreement with one another in unity, but more importantly that we're in agreement with God. How many of you guys know that if you pray a prayer that God doesn't agree with, it's probably not going to be answered? Just free thought. So, so listen, we, we do this once again by praying the promises that come directly from God's word. In other words, when we pray, once again, we don't wish and hope. We don't pull things from the thin air. On the contrary, we take what John said in 1 John 5, 14. We take it to heart. We believe it. It says this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. Somebody say confidence. Wouldn't it be great to pray with confidence? Yeah. It says that if we ask anything according to his will. 
then he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Listen to this other verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for all the promises of God in him are what? Come on, say it like you mean it. Or what? Or yes. And in him, amen. That means so be it. It's done. It means yes again, right? In him are yes, and in him are yes to the glory of God. And so, listen, when we pray, we need to remember that his word is true. Psalm 119 says it's already settled in heaven. It ain't changing. It's settled, right? And so, listen, the Bible also says that his word never returns void. And that's when we preach, that's when we declare it, and that's when we pray it. It's all in there, right? So when we pray the promise of God, it not only allows us to have a touching point for our faith, but it also allows us to, to focus on God's power and God's unlimited resources rather than the mess that we see around us. It's good to have that shift of perspective, amen? The third essential key that we need to grab a hold of is we should be confident enough to pray bold prayers. Jesus clearly said, you have what you ask. Did he not say that? Y'all aren't sure. It's in there. It's in there. You can look at the Gospels. You can come back and tell me next week which one. I will say it's Mark. <laughs> All right? So, so listen, I, I love, once again, how the people in that prayer meeting, we talked about it a while ago in Acts 4. I like how they prayed. It's my kind of prayer meeting. It says this in Acts 4, 29 through 31 again. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak with great boldness. Like, you understand that if you read in context, like several disciples, James, for one, just got ran through by a sword, right? So Nero was trying to scare everybody. They were killing Christians left and right. And here these people are, they're praying, Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak with great boldness. In other words, God, we don't want to run and hide. We want to be conduits of your power. There's a day coming we're going to need this. Verse 30 says this. says, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's a bold prayer. God, signs and miracles, right? And then it says in verse 31, it says, after they prayed, once again, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God, what? Boldly. Listen, I personally believe that the boldness of our prayers reflects our true childlike faith. Right? Like, did y'all not hear earlier, God, can you make an angel untransparent? That's a bold prayer. Right? But it's also full of childlike faith. Most of us have just been like this. You can have it. No, 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 God. I'm in a moment. I need you to do something miraculous. Right? And so, listen, I just think this, is that we don't just pray bold prayers, but we pray big prayers. Because, listen, if we pray little prayers, we're going to see little change. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not content with a little change. <laughs> we need a lot of change. Amen? So, listen, on that note, there's another quote that stuck out with me. It's, it's kind of short, cute. I like it because it's true. But Mark Batterson said this. He said, God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. We have a Bible, guys, and we have church history full of people praying bold prayers, and God responded. And so I'm just saying, man, let's not be afraid to pray bold things. Amen? The fourth and final essential key, then we're going to land this. This is what we need to have. We need to have consistent prayer. Somebody say consistent prayer. I always love how people in the church show up once, and then it didn't work for them, so they don't go again. Did y'all hear that? Amen. 
Remember Acts 2.42, what it said, they devote themselves to continue steadfastly in prayer. This means that they didn't show up once and say, well, that didn't work, <laughs> right? That what happened was, is these guys kept showing up consistently and faithfully. They kept asking, they kept asking. Like, remember, y'all didn't know the Bible. Remember the persistent widow, so that you do not lose heart. That's what Jesus said. So they kept praying, kept praying together, and God did the miraculous. I, I just want to tell you today, listen, we got to be faithful, gang. Amen? Like, it, it's funny to me, and I'm not trying to promote this, even though it, maybe I should, but, but it's funny to me that how many people I've met over the last few years that have said, man, God spoke to me today, and I needed to come to Wednesday night prayer, and I've watched them show up once. So did God change his mind? I'm, I'm practical, right? So, so let me land this thing. Um, I think, once again, if we as an anchor church want to see God's power unleashed in a greater way, let me bring synopsis here, then we got to learn to pray in unity. It's what we're about to do. We need to pray the promises of Scripture. That's what we're about to do. We need to pray boldly. That's what we're about to do. And lastly, we need to pray consistently. That's what we're going to keep doing. Amen? I believe if we can do those things, man, you and I will be blown away by what God will do in amazing ways. And so you have an option today. Here's a great challenge for you. You can sit on the sideline and think church is just simply showing up and hearing the sermon, singing the song, or you can actively engage in the body of Christ and do it the way he said. There's this thing called church, and there's this thing called real Christianity. This is an invite to real Christianity. Amen? Not, not, not listen, not where our insecurities and fears keep ruling us. Listen, I don't like getting up here any more than y'all do. But Jesus has called me to this, just as he's called us to all of this, so I'm willing to do it. Okay? I sit over there and worship, heart pound through my chest, nervous as all get out, but I got to depend on the anointing when it's time to go. That's the way we live, because Jesus said to live that way. Amen? So, listen, let me say this, and just a a thing that I just like don't want to be said about us. There's this old quote that talks about a prayerless church is a powerless church. But a praying church is a powerful church. I'd rather be the second. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.